0: Buffalo Bread Podcast where we talk Bills football, the NFL around the league, and well, mostly Bills football. Dan, how are you doing?
1: I am doing great, sir. I am looking forward to previewing this game. Um it's it's weird to have the Bills open up as the prime time as the feature primetime game at the beginning of the season. And now we have, which won't happen again for the rest of the season, almost two weeks in between Bills games. That's far too long for me to go talking Bills. So I'm looking forward to this. To put this into perspective, this is a Friday. Patrick Mahomes has played twice since Josh Allen played his first game. Far too long of a gap, my friend. Far too long of a gap. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, and in general, I, I'm sure other Bills Mafia members can can attest to this. The feeling that there's, uh, you know, we don't understand what it's like to have primetime games, especially not back to back. It's usually a one o'clock, you know, Sunday deal the whole season long without any variations
1: right yeah. we are we are the chicago cubs of uh, of the nfl where daytime wrigley games are just the thing you expect in chicago 1 p.m sunday games are just the thing you expect in buffalo so i mean don't get me wrong love the result on thursday and i love what will hopefully be another great primetime result but i gotta get some regularity to the schedule i gotta be able yeah. to count on some of these Same. sunday bills games man for sure
0: absolutely and that's coming that's coming right around the corner as soon as we get through this week's game you know we're on we're on to three straight one o'clock games and then it's back to the you know i think it's the chiefs on a thursday night is that right um, oh. or just the chiefs at 425.
1: it chiefs at 425 yeah okay. not, yep, uh, and when i saw that come out on the schedule and we'll, we'll talk about it in the pregame i'm like i'm good with the 425 pm slot I'll still yeah. get to bed on time. Um, might not yes. sleep well, depending on how that game <laughs> goes. But right. how do you not, after after the 13 seconds playoff game, how do you not feature that in prime time? I just don't get it.
0: Yeah, I know. It was peculiar that that wasn't the Sunday night national game. Um, and then, of course, the Bills have their bye after that game. And then it's another Monday night game against the Packers. Uh, and then we continue on through the season with a lot of 1 o'clock um, Sunday games, with the exception of uh you know thanksgiving again against the lions this time of the day and uh, a bill's patriots game which is going to be um i think it's 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 a sunday night game or is it flexed
1: i don't think we flex until the the final game of the season with them okay week 18. that's yeah. right
0: yep that's tbd so yeah so it, we will have the meat of the schedule thankfully for the bills to talk schedule we didn't plan to but here we are um is going to be our normal one o'clock slot and so Rest easy, Bills fans. After eleven days without seeing Josh Allen's beautiful, beautiful Buffalo bison charges around the field, you'll you'll be able to get back to our normally scheduled uh, football
1: and our normally scheduled podcast drops. Which yes. we try to do, we try to do our post games at some point on uh, the Monday after the game. And then we like to do our pre-games either Thursday or Friday. So some regularity coming to the listening fans at home for Buffalo Bread Podcast as soon as the Buffalo Bills hit their regular schedule. But JJ, before we get into the Bills preview, um, I want to get your thoughts on what was a a really kind of, to me, weird week one in the NFL. Yeah, And again, it feels like eons ago that Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills decimated the defending Super Bowl champions at home on Thursday night cuz so much just weird shit has happened in week 1 and we talked about this on the pod when we did our predictions for the game last Thursday like week 1 is just a weird week in the NFL and i think what has exacerbated some of that is the fact that um there's less contact right in preseason we have less preseason games because of the addition of the uh, 17th regular season game And you just see teams, I think, making a conscious decision just not to play their guys in the preseason. And there's some interesting stats that developed around that. There were 11 quarterbacks that didn't get any reps during the preseason. So no reps, not a single series in live preseason play. Those quarterbacks went 3-8 and in the win-loss record over the course of the first week of the NFL season. And there were just some other odd oddities that I think we got to cover because I think it's going to contextualize as we talk about where the bills land in power rankings, as we talk about where some of the individual Buffalo bills may land as far as statistical leaders or where they land as far as best at their position from week to week. There's just some weird contextual things happening around the rest of the league that I want to quickly go around the the league and cover here. So some of our, our week one observations here. And if you're cool with the dude, I'm going to start with mine. And this is something I, yes, this is fully something I anticipate you're going to get into too. So you are, you are offensive line guru to me. No one understands this stuff. Offensive line play better than (laughs) you do. You've educated me so much on it throughout the years. And as I was watching our week one games on Sunday, um, and I was tuning into as many games as I could, I get the NFL network. So I get their game day highlight packages as well. And I have to tell you, a feature of week one for me was just atrocious O-line play from units we don't typically anticipate it from, right? So oh, yeah. um, I was I was unfortunate enough to get the New England-Miami game piped into my house on CBS, right? And, um, you know, the, the Dolphins and their struggles with offensive line play have been something that's been very well documented over the past couple of years. They added Taron Armstead, hoping to shore that up. I mean, what I saw from that unit, especially in the run blocking game, was a lot of inconsistency. And if it in the past game, if it wasn't a quick like three step drop dump off to one read for Tua, uh, New England was getting pressure on Tua within a within a quicker than average amount of time. And I kind of expected to see that because you added one part in Armstead, but you didn't really change a whole lot else on that offensive line. The talent to me on that line was always going to be questionable. What I was super surprised to see in that game, J.J., were the issues that the New England offensive line had. I texted you at one point, and I'm like, here's my hot take. This is the worst offensive line unit we've seen in New England ever, right, under Bill yeah. Belichick. And, and listen, I, I obviously, I was in hot take territory, have backed off from it. But there was a lack of communication. Their uh, run fits uh, couldn't get into their run fits at all. And they had a lot of issues protecting Mac Jones. Now, grant you, Miami is a, a really great pass rush team, right? They're above average, and they blitz a lot, and you know that about them. But man, there were like there were free Miami Dolphins running all over the backfield of New England. I mean, I think of the uh, I think of the strip sack and fumble that Melvin Ingram ended up taking into the end zone for Miami in that game. Um, just absolutely. Absolutely no one blocking Ingram. Like, how do you not account for Melvin? How do you not account for Melvin freaking Ingram on that defensive front? And to me, it could have been lack of reps for the starters in the preseasons, but right now it looks like there are several offensive lines in the league that just don't have their sea legs under them at this point. I include Green Bay in this as well. They were atrocious in that loss to Minnesota. And this is not something that we're used to seeing, but as you have rightfully pointed out, chemistry on the O-line matters. Being able to trust guys to pick up unblocked uh, unblocked rushers matters a lot. you got to be able to trust the dude next to you. You've got to be able to trust the game plan. And it doesn't look like for a lot of these teams struggling with O-line play, the game plan feels, feels uh, solidified, and it doesn't look like there's a lot of chemistry.
0: Well, and I think that it, when you talk about trust, it's not just trust. It's actually this and it's hard to describe, but it's like a preternatural sense of exactly where that person is going to be and what they're going, what they will pick up versus what you think they'll miss or what you feel they'll miss. It's it's hard to describe, but it's a lot of feeling. Like when you've taken a lot of snaps next to somebody on an offensive line or a defensive line for that matter, you don't need to see where they are in space to know where they'll be in space just out of, you know, in your periphery, you might see the angle of the offensive player's hips. You know, if you're rushing a passer and know exactly what kind of move your, your partner's trying to throw. And likewise, if you're on offense and you just see, you know, out of your periphery um, an, a certain arm or shoulder flash from the defensive player, you know what your partner is trying to, trying to throw in order to, to make that block happen. Likewise, in, in, you know, rushing offense of line play, um, combo blocks and things like that it's literally feeling the pressure of the man in front of you that you're trying to body with somebody in like a double team and knowing exactly what the guy is trying to work on without ever speaking to them. And that sort of stuff you cannot get unless you practice next to that human being, because every single one of them is going to be different and everyone's going to have different preferences and different strengths. And so, yeah, I I mean, more than there were nine teams this past weekend um, that had four or more sacks in a single game. And that's high, you know, most between one and three sacks is a somewhat usual team statistic for a game so having you know a third of the league get to nine or get you know get to four or more and of that of that third of the league four of the teams had or three of the teams had seven like including the bills so
1: including our buffalo
0: bills right yeah yep yep so that it was bad 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 line play and I think that it's funny because you also see players like Saquon Barkley for the Giants. We'll talk about this a lot more in game preview. Ran rough over the Titans. That wasn't necessarily because his line was was blocking their ass off and amazing. It was because the Titans' defensive line was playing horribly, just horribly out of position, horribly you know giving up ground um, and letting the you know um, line of scrimmage be reestablished four or five yards down down the the line. So. Um, yeah, it was a really bad offensive line play across the board. You were apt and correct in, in observing that, my friend, and it uh, looks like uh, enough of me has rubbed off on you that you can you can see it when, when you see it as clear as day.
1: Your, your tutelage has been much appreciated over these past few years, without a doubt. Um, JJ, I want to move on to my second observation here, and it syncs nicely with the opposite of bad offensive line play. I have said on this pod on many occasions that I think the the Kansas City Chiefs have the best offensive line in the league pound for pound right now. And they've proved it in both week one and in their week two win last night where Patrick Mahomes through two games has been sacked exactly one time. But more than that, man, my observation overall is that the Chiefs are chief in at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone wondered what would happen when Tyreek Hill left. They've played two games. um at, The Arizona game, I think, lopsided for a lot of reasons, but mostly because Arizona, for whatever reason, um, gave Patrick Patrick Mahomes a single high look on over 50% of his snaps, um, not going to that cover two shell that has been known to contain guys like Allen and Mahomes and Stafford. Um, But beyond that, they blitzed Mahomes. Like, who blitzes Patrick Mahomes in single high coverage? So Arizona – I. Arizona, I think, made some some very poor game planning decisions around this, but that's not to take away anything away from the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, the ball distribution for Mahomes is as good as ever. Kelsey had a big game. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who, if you are a fantasy owner that doesn't own him as a running back or flex position in your league, it, it would be warranted to pick him up. He might not be the best in the running game out of the backfield the way the Chiefs play, but in a PPR league, that dude's going to get some reps out of the backfield in the pass-catching game. Um, and they just look polished they looked like they hadn't missed a beat the chemistry with those wide receiver with some of those new wide receivers that Mahomes has was there and it was present Um, and Mahomes looks like he is taking what the opposing team is giving to him he's playing with a precision and a patience I think that is far more advanced than last year and really does harken back to his MVP in Super Bowl seasons from a couple years ago um, the Chiefs, to me, look like the Bills' primary competition in the AFC yet again. The defense, while not great and not as good as some of the other, te- other teams are rolling out there, vastly improved. And they're, they're athletic, man. That's a really yeah. athletic defense that can make some plays. So they're, they're going to give up points, but you're going to also see them do what they did last night, which is take a 99-yard uh, interception yeah. to the house on a touchdown. They got some well. playmakers on that defense, Yeah
0: that's what I was going to mention is I think that was like what a sixth round rookie who housed undrafted the undrafted yeah, undrafted been, okay been UDFA. Work,
1: working yeah. at Wendy's right prior wow. to getting picked up by the Chiefs yeah crazy yeah so
0: yeah well and that's the kind of thing that we talk about all the time with the Buffalo Bills is like they could take these players they could take a Dane Jackson who was sixth or seventh round they could take you know Christian Benford um, and coach them up into NFL caliber starters. That's the same thing that Andy Reid's coaching staff and Eric Bieniemy on offense, um, and Steve Spag- Spagnuolo. Spags still there? No.
1: Yeah, Spags is still the defensive oh, okay. coordinator. Yeah, he's, so like he's it's he's what
0: never going to leave. Yeah, he's there. yeah. It's what it's what good coaches can do is they can see talent in somebody and then they coach that talent onto you know execution. And Watson was his name, with a rookie who who housed the ball from Herbert. Right. I mean, that ball that was such a that was a fourteen point swing because if that score goes in the Chargers' direction, the Chiefs are in such a massive hole that even Patrick Mahomes might not have been able to get it, get them out of it. Because what I noticed from the Chiefs' chiefing yesterday, um, and this is Friday, so we saw the Thursday night game too, was. Um, Patrick Mahomes was putting that ball in some dangerous spots. He was spreading it around, and that was good, but he had several interceptions dropped by the defensive backs, mm-hmm. and you really hope if he makes those sorts of errors in, in judgment against a better team with better defensive backs, <laughs> cough the Bills, um, that those are all interceptions, and that was w- such a huge deciding factor when the Bills beat the Chiefs in the, in the regular season last year was they picked off Mahomes and got turnovers quite a lot. So, Yep. Um, but yeah, I think that it's like you said, he looks lethal, maybe more so than he did at la- any time last year. Um, and it, he, it looks like he's evolving. Like we always talk about Josh Allen evolving into a player who doesn't just lean on, um, you know, Kelsey and, uh, and Tyree kill because Tyreek Hill is gone that he basically is just there to, you know, he's now distributing these playing point guard a little bit better and really knowing where to go with the ball quickly. Yep. And that absolutely.
1: scares me. A- absolutely. That. That Bills-Chiefs game is going to be, I mean, it's going to be epic for, I think, a lot of reasons, but yeah. that is going to be a super competitive game. JJ, my final observation here from week one, um, no one in the NFC is good. I'm just going to put that out there now, <laughs> yeah. add it to the to hot take trash mountain at the end of the right. season, right? I, I think um, LA, the Rams, at Stafford's elbow, I, I, I think there's something there, right? and yeah. i think the loss of obj there's something there as well and you could tell as we talk about preseason reps ellen robinson doesn't look up to speed in that offense yet are these things that could change down the road absolutely sure but jalen yep. ramsey also looks like he's lost a step i mean he's gone yeah. multiple games if you include the playoffs getting torched by guys number one receivers i'm not saying he's past it but he he's not the dude that he used to be as a lockdown corner tampa bay that defense looks pretty awesome right and they've got Tom Brady, I have several questions about that offensive line. Shaq Mason yeah. didn't look great. Um, Tristan Wirfs is doing all that he possibly can, I think, to protect Brady. But um, I've got a lot of questions about whether or not they can protect Brady against even a, a above-average pass rush, right? Um, and then Minnesota made Green Bay look silly. We've seen this with Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers before. Th- that's a team I think it's safe to say that Green Bay Packers – are historically slow starters when it comes to the aaron Rodgers era so there's no panic there yet but that offensive line man has a lot of issues too and i question if they've got the, enough skill makers on the outside for Rodgers to take advantage of without Devontae adams um yeah. minnesota vikings look look like they could be a really solid team that could make some noise um justin jefferson had a great game but you have yes. Kirk cousins you've got Kirk cousins at qb which is always a thing and um you know Deniel hunter looks like if if he can remain healthy is going to be a real difference maker for that defense and that pass rush but there's no one who i'd say in that group right now would scare me if i was the chiefs ravens or bills in the afc yeah
0: no i think that's absolutely right i think that really if you're looking at the whole league you know just based on, again week one's weird week one's a weird thing so just but that's all we have to go off of so based on week one results um, it seems as if you if you make your way out of the murderer's row that is the AFC um, conference into the Super Bowl, you're going to face a far inferior opponent in the in the biggest game than you did on your way there. Just yeah. because it's it seems like the NFC is so far behind, and it really comes down to quarterback play. You know, name name one young, awesome, up and coming quarterback in the NFC, and don't give me kyler murray right like because i don't think he's it i don't i, I that yeah.
1: that extension and cliff kingsbury's extension i think are and steve kimes uh extension their gm those are all going to yep. look really interesting at the end of the season here yes. um yeah man no i'm i uh i agree with you it, and again it is week one we are in overreaction territory somewhat oh, yeah. like someone someone in the nfc is eventually going to be good but i yeah. think from a personnel standpoint skill position standpoint uh, the afc just looks like world beaters i mean i think it, we might be living in a world where the seventh team in for the afc could take out the one seat in the nfc on any given sunday so yeah yeah it's gonna be interesting to see all right man those are my takes from week one before we get into the bills yeah. preview what are your takeaways from our first full week of nfl football
0: i just have a few and if we're going to talk about bad football in the nfc we can also talk about bad football in the afc east um I, you you mentioned you joked that you suffered through the Patriots Dolphins game. Um, I rewatched it. I rewatched the condensed version, and it's just it's bad football teams, right? Like somebody had to win. Well, unless you're the Colts or Texans, but the utility bowl. Yeah, I know. So like they, it was like it almost it was inevitable that there had to be scores. The Dolphins defense looks pretty good, but again, didn't look completely lights out. The Patriots offense looks so inept that it's somewhat of a miracle that they got any points at all in that game. And overall, it was just bad. It was Tua and Mac Jones throwing these huge lofty ducks that if they try to serve any of those up, you know, a good example. Tua now has Tyreek Hill, Cheetah. Tua throws balls so behind Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hills too fast for Tua's arm that Tyreek Hill has had to be a jump ball specialist in that game. And I was impressed with how well he was doing 50-50 balls and jumping up there um, for you know contested catches because he was coming down with them and that's awesome and that looks great on the stat sheet. But after watching, you know, Patrick Mahomes throw to Tyree kill and then seeing Tua try to throw to Tyree kill, it was it was sort of sad. And so I don't think that there's any threat there. And then the Jets just looked basically inept. I mean the Ravens I think are much, much better. Um, than most of the teams that any of the, you know, AFC East will face save the Bills. Um, but the Ravens just basically made them look horrid. And so I'm really – it might be the the Patriots in the bottom and the basement of the AFC East and then the Jets and then the, the Dolphins because it was just – it just didn't seem like they had anything together. And I think that um, Skarnecchia, the retired offensive line coach for the Patriots who was there for most of the Brady years – i think his absence is far greater than a lack of talent on that offensive line because they still have a lot of the same players who've been so good but they just don't seem to know where they're supposed to be and that's shocking with you know some of the vets that they have there that they didn't keep that coaching with them after he left
1: the the post brady patriots and the post patriots belichick or the the post brady patriots and the, the way Belichick has chosen to build and operate that team, absent Tom Brady, has been, I, I think, something that we're going to debate for a really long time. Like, I'm not saying we're going to forget all of Belichick's success, but if he hangs around another two, three years and the Patriots are middling in this way, um, I think it's going to call into question a lot of his legacy. Kind of like with Phil Jackson in yep. the NBA choosing for whatever freaking reason to end his time with the Knicks, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's going to be really interesting. You had mentioned the Ravens in here, and uh, I think that's a great segue to your second takeaway from week one. So talk yep. to us a little bit about your observations for the Ravens.
0: <clears throat> I texted you, you know, when I was kind of flipping between games, that the Ravens looked very good. Lamar Jackson looked like he's out for all of it, and he was throwing the ball more accurately and with more pace, timing, and kind of, you know... Anticipation that I think I've ever seen, and so that scares me because he's a he's a, we've all known he's an extreme talent. The big question was whether or not he could deliver those you know huge uh, strikes down the field accurately, and he hit hit on some against the Jets. And I know it's just the Jets, and they're kind of getting getting sorted a little bit with a lot of young players. Um, but the Ravens looked very strong. The only thing that I have a question about the Ravens team is like, what the heck is their sports science and like training department doing? They, their entire season last year was completely derailed by multiple injuries. And then this year, straight out of the gate, I think they had two two players or three players go down within the game, and at least one of them might be lost for the season. And it's just it, – it seems like – I'd love to look at the rate of injury, that their rate of injury is so much higher than the average in the NFL that it, maybe they have to redo load management or look at – again, look at sports science, but it seems like whatever they're doing, it's not working. Their guys are – repeatedly and consistently going down with soft tissue injuries with ligament injuries and tears like i don't know what what that's about or that i mean it's even maybe that whole division because the steelers jj watt might be out again for three or four weeks um and so it's strange strange coincidences down there but the team as a whole if they can stay healthy will be dangerous late in the season for sure
1: the ravens have always been deep they've always been well built i think hearth a healthy Lamar Jackson makes up for a lot of uh makes up for a lot of personnel losses and talent loss but there there is a limit to that there'd be a limit to that with Pat Mahomes there'd be a limit to that with Josh Allen right I I think a lot of the Ravens early season will will hinge on Lamar Jackson and the remember me tour that he's on right um especially now as it's official he and the Ravens, by his Friday deadline, did not agree to a new extension. So he he's basically playing off con he's basically playing on the final year of his contract with no guarantee of a new deal with Baltimore. So that's a dude who's motivated. That's a dude who's betting on himself. Um, I think that's going to make up for a lot of yes. what the Ravens are dealing with here in the early season. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see as we get closer to the end of the season, week 17, week 18 what kind of overall health they're in. But if Jackson can stay healthy, he gives them a puncher's chance to be really, really good this season. Um, Outside of Josh Allen, I've got uh, Lamar Jackson is my, my next highest uh, odds to, to win the MVP this year. I think that dude's just going to turn it up. Yeah. All right, man, put it on the, whiteboard. put it on the the bourbon bet, right? The the ongoing bourbon bet. Um, All right, man, final observation has to do with coaching, I believe. So why don't you tell us what you're thinking?
0: So that was my final observation is that I think that, you know, there's and this is my observation, right? Sports media and the, the NFL kind of landscape is kind of lauding all these coaches, our beloved Brian Dable as one of them is a first time head coach who's really getting it, who knows it. There's that the, the thought of a first time head coach struggling to develop into their new role is, you know, false because look how good um, Brian Dable did and look how good the uh, um, Kevin O'Connell did with the Vikes. And you know this sense that it's it's not so difficult to just to get there, right? Um, and so I think that my observation is that that learning curve is still pretty steep. I mean, you saw um, Nathaniel Hackett for the Broncos decide to try on a 64-yarder field goal rather than go for it on fourth and five with a quarter of a billion-dollar quarterback that they just you know signed in Russell just Wilson. atrocious,
1: atrocious, <laughs> such a terrible,
0: terrible idea. Yeah, so. I think that that's a good that's you know a point in the favor of the fact that it's still hard for first-time head coaches and it should be um you know as as people who are starting a brand new job and have never had that level of pressure or don't have any experience in that role um the thought that any any coach you know in the in the um nfl like uh can just step in and have no no adjustment to their new job is kind of silly so i I just want to remind everybody First time head coaches is still an advantage for a team with a long tenured coaching staff and the Bills are going to face a few of those teams this year. Um, And I think it it does give them a little little bit of a leg up that we have such good consistency and such good teaching in the coaching staff for the Bills. Because I don't think first time head coaches always have the best way to build a system and then bring players along in the system because there's no system. right? The the process isn't there yet to use a, a McDermott term
1: absolutely and you know how much i love dayball right and listen the the video of him i've got giants fans in the family and the friends network the video of him dancing with the team at the end of that game that just all the balls in the world to go for that two-point conversion at that point right like happy for dayball but did you see some of the play calls he tried to run with daniel jones it's like bro this dude is not josh allen like it's like he's trying to get daniel jones killed so that he can officially, <laughs> like, officially move on can and move use on a high him, yeah. use a high draft pick on like Bryce Younger from Alabama or something like that next year. So like no. e- even Dayball for the the highlight reel two, like two point conversion to Barkley and the the chutzpah that came with that call, right? Like that's a dude who's trying to figure out his personnel. And we have said this before. Dayball specifically is a very visceral coach, right? And his team can take on his personality. That's a team who more often than not this season from a personnel standpoint is going to be outmanned and outgunned and they're going to lose some games they're going to play tough they're going to be a tough out but they're going to lose a lot of games this year the giants it'll be really interesting to see how dayball modulates some of that emotion that he's known for coaching with in the head coaching position where you really do have to be an arbiter and the guy that that folks can go to to kind of set the tone it'll be interesting to see how players respond to him in moments of challenge yeah I agree still a long way to go before 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 we uh rate some of these rookie coaches here all right man felt good talking NFL but it feels even better to talk Bills let's dive right into our preview of Titans Bills Monday night home opener Highmark Stadium for our beloved Buffalo all right man so I want to break we want to break it down here offense defense and special teams all three phases of the game the Bills care about it, McDermott cares about it, and we care about it on this podcast, too. That's right. So why don't you take us through, if you could, sir, a little bit of your things that we need to be thinking about um, for our offense against the Tennessee Titans.
0: Yeah, so uh, the biggest thing you need to know about the Tennessee Titans is that they lost Harold Landry, who was the heart and soul of their, of their uh, pass rush on defense, and it left the cupboard pretty bare for their defensive line. They have Bud Dupree, who's okay, who's solid. Jeffrey Simmons inside is an absolute monster, but the Bills just came off a game where they had an absolute monster, like the monster, and Aaron Donald from the Rams uh, lineup across from them. And after the first quarter, I thought Ryan Bates did a fine job. And I think he got a lot of help, of course, from um, his tackles and and Mitch Morse at center um, to help with Aaron Donald. And their scheme really picked up. Aaron Cromer did a nice job of adjusting because Aaron Donald then wasn't a factor for large parts of that game. And so I think that they're going to have to approach Jeffrey Simmons in the same way of isolating and kind of eradicating his impact on the game. After they take care of that, the Buffalo Bills on offense should just attack the Tennessee defense. They have very poor outside corners. They have a middling average to below average linebacking core. And so, do what the do- bills have done best. And if, Je- especially if Jeffrey Simmons is getting it early inside pressure, uh, Josh Allen, we talked about it on the post game from the Rams game, was doing an amazing job of identifying, um, you know, identifying and delivering the football in under two and a half seconds. If he needs that again, it's good that he has it in his in his capacity. And I don't see anybody in the secondary in the back four, back six. Um, or back seven for the the Titans. Who's going to be able to hang with any of the Bills' outside receivers um, and their ability to separate? Whether that's Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, or Isaiah McKenzie. And additionally, kind of moving on to the you know another component is we saw only two targets for Dawson Knox in the first game, and I know gameplay can determine that, but I feel like there's an opportunity to get Dawson Knox involved early and often. And last year in the the heartbreaking Titans game that they lost, you know, on the three-yard line on a fourth and one when Josh Allen slipped, um, Dawson Knox was eating that defense alive until he broke his hand. And he still threw a touchdown pass to Josh Allen in that game. And so I I can see Dawson Knox having a big game. I really hope he does since I have him on my fantasy team. Um, But those are some of the things I think is stick to the passing game, light up the underneath, I think that the Titans are going to come in super hungry and super angry that they gave up a stinker at home in their home opener to the, you know, underdog Giants. And so I am sure that this week, Dable is probably talking to Josh Allen, given the fact that the Bills don't have the Giants on their schedule, and they're very close. Um, that's that's a great opportunity to get some intel on a team that you're going to play a common opponent. And, uh, and so I can see... Josh Allen have another amazing day as we always expect, and the Titans' defense not being able to hang, and they they don't ha- they just don't have the talent on that side of the ball. They've been suspect for a few years, um, and I expect that that's going to continue. Um, and I expect that the Bills are going to want to make a statement after losing to the Titans two years in a row. Um, and one of the new things, the wrinkles. If you're out there watching and you're excited for something, you can think back to the Buffalo Bread podcast because JJ is telling you right now. Just like I said with the you know the first week game, I think you're going to see this Buffalo Bills offense lean on the screen game. And I hope it's a redemption game for James Cook. I don't know if he'll touch the ball again until his third or fourth season in the league, given that he fumbled on his first carry. <laughs> but that's an opportunity for him to get involved if, he, if they do trust him to come back around. Um, is that I think the Titans defense is going to know that they're undermatched, or they're overmatched. I think they're going to know that they need to get pressure on Josh Allen to make anything happen. So they might be aggressively pursuing and aggressively firing through the line. That is absolutely ripe for the screen game and underneath screens to either Dawson Knox, James Cook, Devin Singletary, or Zach Moss, any of them, um, to kind of eat up those those yards. And so that's what I see on offense. Any thoughts that you have about what I've kind of laid out as a plan?
1: I, I, I love everything you said. I'm going to be watching very specifically Bud Dupree against Spencer Brown. Um, yes spencer brown versus bud dupree last year was a a real liability for the bills and granted it was Brown. yep brown's rookie season right um but bud dupree is a wily veteran um great pass rush instincts and there was a fair amount of pressures that brown gave up that you know i was texting you through last year's game i'm like is brown even on the like same page as the rest of that offensive line yeah, it, yeah. there was something and, and it was it was just something I, like you observe but brown dupree was really in brown's head and brown i think had left a lot of the blocking blocking scheme and game plan behind just because he wanted to win one-on-one with dupree right right and dupree exposed that it opened up the door for several tennessee titans to to expose holes to get to allen and at that point the offensive line was was still figuring itself out when we played Tennessee at that point I think we had gotten them just before they were our last game before the bye post Kansas City so there so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what Brown does to adjust because I guarantee you that um Bud Dupree is going to be lined up against Spencer Brown more often than not on Monday night and it's going to be very interesting to see how Brown handles that matchup.
0: Yeah. And I, well, and I think that um, that's a great point. And, you know, I'm really I'm wondering how that's going to go, considering the um, the Buffalo Bills offense has been on such a heater at this point for, you know, three or four games in a row, counting back to last year's playoffs. Meanwhile, the Tennessee defense has been kind of overmatched for a number of, of weeks going back to last year's playoffs. They were kind of lit up a little bit in the playoffs against Cincinnati and Houston. Um, uh, with passing yards. And so there's opportunities there. And so I'm um, really, you know, I wonder how that's going to go. And clearly if Bud Dupree is is absolutely dominating Spencer Brown, the passing game is not going to take off the way they need it to. Um, I don't see it happening because I think Spencer Brown has made enough strides and I expect to see, fully expect to see David Questenberry active for the game. So I think that if you had Spencer Brown getting worked um, you might see him pulled and Questenberry to go in at right tackle because he practiced against Bud Dupree last year in that same position. So he has a much better sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Do you think we will see Khalil Shakir active for this game? We talk about the screen game. Oh, gosh, we know yeah. We know Shakir's got some chops in that. He played so well during the preseason. It was a little bit of a surprise not to see him active for Thursday night. Do you see him being active for the game and if so who are the bills making inactive to pull him onto the roster
0: so if he um if he is active I actually suspect that the person that they sit down might be on the defensive side and it might be either Ed Oliver or Tim Settle or both um even if they sat both they might activate Khalil Shakur and bring Brandon Bryant up and just have a a light a bit of a lighter rotation on defense in the interior of the defensive line. Yeah, if both those guys are still dinged up.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it could, and you know, going up against Derrick Henry is not not something you would wish on someone on, on a player who's recovering from an injury, but I, I do think Sha- I do think Shakir gives them an element that can really expose this Tennessee, uh, this Tennessee defense. It's an aggressive group, as you've noted. They're they're disciplined to a point in the way they pursue right. A a guy like Shakir to me, who looks really polished, who looks, I mean, has a lot of those Beasley chops where he just finds places to get open. I think could really be a great outlet and a sure-handed outlet, given where we're at with James Cook right now in McDermott's doghouse. Could be a really sure-handed outlet for Allen to go to to mitigate some of that aggression. But we'll see. We'll see when the active times hit what that's going to look like.
0: And you might even see James Cook sit down this week, right? Like he might be the person they pull to make Khalil Shakur uh, active. That'd be a
1: that'd be a hell of a thing, though, wouldn't that? Yeah, like, it would. Yes. That'd, yeah. that'd be a hell of a thing. So, it, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I I could see them sitting Kumro too. I mean, especially yeah. we'll get to this in the special teams preview. Like, if you're just not going to punt anymore, like, do you, <laughs> <laughs> like, do you, do you need, need to all of the? To, yeah, Gunner's on right. punt team. Yeah, like if you got. But in all seriousness. Like, yeah. I, we know they care about special teams, but if they've got a guy who they know is gonna could potentially impact 30 to 40 plays in yeah. Shakir, as opposed to a guy who's going to impact six or seven, like, wouldn't you start the guy who's going to impact 30 or 40? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know it's a much more complex calculus that they do around special teams and offense, but to me, yeah. especially the way Tennessee plays defense, you want to have multiple outlets and options for allen to go to and shakir to me is one of those guys who i'd really like to see get an opportunity this could be almost the perfect matchup for shakir to take advantage of as a rookie
0: all right so flipping over to the defensive side of the ball um i know we talked about how tim settle and ed oliver are both dinged up and they might make room on the roster for a different game day active um there's a number of bills players that did not participate at any time during the uh, the week thus far um uh, Dane Jackson with a knee injury did not participate Thursday or Friday on practice. Um, Ed Oliver and Tim Settle did not pra- practice a defensive tackle with an ankle and a calf, res- respectively, uh, either Thursday or Friday. They have one more practice day. If they do not practice tomorrow, I don't see them starting uh, in the game on Sunday. And if that's the case, we're going to see quite a bit of challenge for the Bills. Um, they'll still have Jordan Phillips, of course. They'll still have Daquan Jones. Both of those players are more than capable of, of stuffing the middle and shutting down uh, Derrick Henry during the game. Um, but it's going to be a much taller task to do that without fresh legs. And so I see the Bills potentially bringing up Brandon Bryant, had a wonderful uh, preseason and training camp. And I, I have, you know, no questions that he'll be a good player in the middle. He's not going to be as good as Ed Oliver, or Tim Sittle, of course. Um, but I'm not terribly concerned about that. I think I'm more concerned about Dane Jackson playing, um, you know, not playing in the game and having both the rookies, um, Kyir Elam and um, Christian Benford out there on the outside corner positions because that's a kind of a tall task. I mean, I really like what I've seen from both of those, you know, rookie corners, but it's kind of a tall task to ask them to start Monday Night Football against a highly motivated Titans team that was the number one NFL or AFC seed last year. Um, granted the Titans, you know, lost a lot of their offensive firepower when they traded away AJ Brown. Um, and so I don't see, you know, Traylon Burks, who still seems kind of lost in his, as a rookie lost in his root tree out there, or Robert Woods, who seems to have lost a step and is a little bit dinged up to be that dangerous for Tennessee. Um, especially if the bills can have any semblance of a really nice pass rush, um, the Tennessee offensive line, after losing um, you know, the players that they lost over the over the course of the offseason, they only have Taylor Luan at, at left tackle, Ben Jones at center, and Nate Davis at right guard, who are all extremely good offensive players, but that leaves holes. Aaron Brewer at left guard has looked pretty poor, and Nicholas Petit-Friere um, out of Ohio State is a rookie at right tackle, so there are going to be some opportunities. I think that this line is probably a little bit better than the LA Rams line, but not markedly better. And so I think there's going to be some opportunities for the Bills. Um, But yeah, I I have some concerns on defense for the Bills at outside corner and at the defensive interior with some of the injuries they have that they're facing. Um, Ryan Tannehill has been a good enough quarterback to give the Bills fits at times, but often it's Derrick Henry. I mean, Derrick Henry broke a 76-yarder. In last year's game that most people remember, there's a questionable no-call on a hold. Um, on I think one of the safeties, it was I believe it was Micah Hyde. Um, and so who knows how, how that's gonna be. Derrick Henry does not has not looked really good. Um the way that he had in his, you know, three years ago, right? He looks like the the hits and the miles on his tires are starting to wear a little bit because Um, his average yards after contact have declined. And this was pointed out by Joe Marino on Locked on Bill's podcast. His average yards after contact have declined every single year for the past three years. And so he's not kind of blowing through tackles and making crazy, you know, uh, crazy break tackle plays like he did a number of years ago. And so I wonder how much of that is just the number of carries that they've put on him and how he's been their only sense or semblance of offense Um, when they haven't had a a strong outside wide receiver. So I think the Titans are going to have some struggles on offense. I really like the Bills' odds against them, Um, but in order to do so, they have to get pressure on Tannehill. He's very bad under pressure. Um, He's not supremely better against the uh, Blitz, but he's a little better against the Blitz, so hopefully it's organic pressure, which we know is always far superior, and then make them one-dimensional, shut down the run, and make Tannehill beat you with not great outside receivers.
1: Yeah, the Titans to me are an offense that they don't surprise you, right? You know exactly what yeah. they want to do. You know exactly what they're going to do. It, it, they're not they're not gadgety like the Chiefs are gadgety. They're not multi-layered and multifaceted like the Bills are multifaceted. They want to run with Derrick Henry. They want they want Tannehill to open up and play action, which is where he is by far his most effective, right? And it's really just becomes whenever you play the Titans It becomes just a a battle of wills, right? It becomes a full battle of wills. They know what they want to do. They want to impose their will upon you. So the question is, if Dane Jackson is dinged up or we don't have the full availability of our defensive line rotation in the game on Monday, will the Bills have enough personnel? To counter what we know the Titans are gonna to want to do. Now, I actually I, I think the Bills are gonna be able to make some hay in the pass rush. And I feel like I'm hewing very close to the game preview I gave about this game last year, where I believe I said the Titans have no, no, uh, no reason to be as good as they are record wise. They're trash, the Bills have better personnel. I yeah. feel largely the same. All right, but I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna utter that into existence. But yes. what I will say is that the Buffalo Bills depth is at a place where if there were a team I would wanna be shorthanded against at the position they're shorthanded against, it would be this Titans team, 100% for sure.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, yeah, you're right. I think I would much prefer that their best defensive tackles were all present for a game against Derrick Henry. Um, So there's that. But I will say that I'm way, way less worried about the Buffalo Bills playing these Titans with two rookie outside corners than even I am next week against the Dolphins, right? Like that is a game that scares me more with rookie corners. Even if Tua doesn't have the strongest arm, he can, you know, he has separators. He has wide receivers who can get out in in space and make people miss. And that worries me a little bit more with rookie corners. Um, And so hopefully, you know, Dane Jackson gets back (laughs) and and healthy for that game. Um, But really I'm not that. And I'm not Intimidated or frightened by uh, Micah Hyde and Jordan Porter not being able to cover up and help out the rooks on the outside against these particular pass-catching wide receivers and even Austin Hooper, their their tight end, because none of them are you know outstanding superstars, and they're not being fed the ball by somebody who's making you know something out of nothing every play like Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert.
1: Yeah, I, you know where I'm more concerned about the rookie DBs getting the start is actually in the run game. Because we, okay. we we talked about this a little bit in our our uh, preseason kind of recap, but Kyer Elam, while we know number one number one draft pick DBs have a growing area, an area he's really struggled in has been in run protection, and we know how the Buffalo Bills rely on their DBs to step up when it comes to the run game. Now Derek Henry. I agree with you. I think there's a physical toll that's been taken on his game. I don't necessarily think he's going to be able to bounce it out to the outside in in a quick cut or anything like that. But we still rely on these DBs pretty heavily in our scheming to mitigate the run game. And if we are not fully staffed at the defensive line level, I could actually see the pressure on these rookie DBs, not necessarily happening in coverage where I think we're going to see a lot of growth with this long layover, but I actually think where we're going to see the holes is going to be in their ability to clog it up on the run game when they need to step up to do so. So it'll be interesting to see what the final injury report and final and final active roster for this game looks like, because yeah. if we are with the rookies, I actually have more concerns about their ability to help out and run protection.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I. <laughs> i i i kind of worry about it all with the rooks to be honest because i think that that's that's a tough it's a tough position to learn quickly um, it it, and, it really yeah. is
1: yeah. And, the, and as good as they're coached in buffalo yeah. that defense is very complex what they ask their yes. dbs to do their dbs yeah. have to be a plus on on awareness play awareness at all times right and it's It's, i know that that feels like a throwaway because you could say that about all professional nfl defenses but really what frazier and mcdermott do and their reliance on dbs in so many facets of the defensive game plan i mean really does make a big difference here so all right man let's take it to special teams and really i just have one question on special teams will the bills punt in this (laughs) game against the titans that was
0: that was the only question I was going to ask, too, is is will they need Sam Martin to have a proof of life photo where he's holding up today's new, or the, Monday's newspaper with Josh Allen in the locker room just to prove he was there so he can get his game check? Um, yeah. <laughs> will they punt? I have no idea. I hope if they don't punt, it's because it's a perfect game like against the Patriots in the playoffs that we were at uh, and not because they're throwing interceptions and fumbling the ball away uh, at other times where they may have otherwise punted. So um, I'm going to say over under Bill's punt twice. Uh, but I still think that the Bills win by more than two scores.
1: I agree, and I think that's a perfect place to get into some game predictions here. So the points spread on this game was nine and a half. Last time I last time I checked on FanDuel, I think I saw a couple of sports books that had it at ten and a half uh, in favor of the Bills. But um, you know, really the Buffalo Bills getting a lot of love and a lot of respect. And uh, most of the money is on the Tennessee Titans to go 0-2 to start the season this year. Hard to imagine after the year they had last year. But, J.J., this was a team in Tennessee that was 6-0 in one-score games. And as we have said, as we are of the Bill Barnwell school of predicting what teams will ascend and what will descend, you always look at those fluky one-score games as a place where there's regression back to the mean. So given that, I feel pretty good about saying the Tennessee Titans are going to go 0-2. My final score prediction for the game here is Buffalo Bills, 35, Tennessee Titans, 17. Where are you at?
0: I, I just literally was typing that in the show notes as a, as you were saying it. Not for you because I'm taking that note, but that's because that was my prediction as well. Dude, are you serious? Um, I, I don't have the show, show notes up on the screen anymore. <laughs> oh my it's God, no, I'm, I'm going to, you know, it's, I don't want to be, be do, it's bad radio for me to tell people that I have the same exact guess. So um, I'm going to say the Bills are going to win 28 to seven. I think it's going to be pretty well in hand and get kind of boring through the latter part of the game because I see the Bills' defense coming out on fire at home with all that energy, Monday night vibes, and, you know, wanting to prove something about the lumps that Tennessee has, has given them the last couple of years. And so I see the defensive line coming out and trying to bury, absolutely bury Ryan Tannehill as fast as they can. He's an incredibly sackable quarterback. Um, I think he had almost more than or I think he had almost double the sacks that uh, uh, Stafford had last year. And they were able to take Stafford down seven times with an offensive line that was that I would feel was just a little bit less, you know, talented than than the Titans and the offensive line for the Rams compared to the Titans is way better at pass protection. Um, the, you know the Titans offensive line is way better at runs you know run blocking and actually a little bit less good at, at pass protection. They were um, they gave up like 40 plus sacks on on l last year. So I really see the bills coming out and trying to get as much pressure. If they have a quick game planned out, I don't see um, the Titans wide receivers being that good at quick separation that he'll need to get rid of the ball. And if Tannehill holds the ball for more than two and a half seconds, his accuracy and everything goes into the dumpster. So, yep, I'm going to say, you know, um, you said 35 17, and I'm going to say 38 10.
1: Nice. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to make you change your prediction. That's crazy. That's okay. No. <laughs> yeah. No. We, no. That Great minds bad. think alike and all that. Yeah, no kidding. That is bad radio Um, for sure. Yeah. 100% for us to always agree yeah. on stuff. Well, <laughs> cool, man. Listen, I'm looking forward to the game. And then more importantly, I'm looking forward like we said, to getting back on a normal Sunday schedule for these Buffalo Bills. Um, I'm not necessarily looking over Tennessee, but I'll be really interested to see what happens with the Miami-Baltimore game and how that may impact what our preview for Bills-Dolphins week three is going to look like. But uh, in the meantime, I think we've given the folks at home a lot to listen to and a lot to chew on as we prep for Monday night. As always, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, and Spotify. And as always, JJ, go Bills.
0: Go Bills.